0: Good morning, Calvary. It's a holiday weekend, but we are seeing more and more people come back. So Drew's going to talk more about this next week, uh, later today. But next week is uh, we're adding a third service back. And real quick, if you are a person who wants to be in a less crowded room, or if you want to make space for others, that's your service. So that's where I'd say 1140, this service time will not change. Um, We're doing a Saul-Paul series. And as we are going through this, we're talking about what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus over the long haul What it really looks like to be in the routine of following Jesus and routine is a word I love Um, when I uh, Preach on sunday morning This is going to make me sound a a little old to some of you But it's something I remember a a pastor saying to me He said you need to have a routine so that you can know what to do So on saturday nights, I go to bed at 9 p.m. When i'm preaching And some of you are like 9 p.m. If you're a college student, you're like Either I love that idea or that's the dumbest thing ever right And so but I go to bed at 9 p.m And then I wake up early the next morning because I want to be rested And then um, I my my process is I go to the gas station and I get a soda because I don't drink coffee I saw davika there. I see davika every sunday morning. I say hi We get a coke and then I go to mcdonald's I get a sausage mcmuffin, which is the one time a week. I allow myself that luxury And then I eat that and I come in here and I start to pray Now even through the routine, here's my prayer Lord, do something unexpected today Lord, do something unexpected today The routine that propels us to look for the unexpected is important And this can be difficult for us Because I think a lot of times what we are is we are routine-based people, right? And the way I know this is, and this is every church across America. Pastors are being asked this one question more than anything else. In fact, there's a meme going around it this week. and I, many people have sent it to me. I appreciate it. I get it. It's funny. Um, but it says, like Saul to Paul, we are many many of us are asking the question of what it looks like to Damascus to go and you'll get some of that. It's horrible people and if, uh, if I think it's horrible It's just horrible because I'm a pun king but It's kind of funny and, 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 and I get that but the one question I get asked more than anything else Is when do we get to take the masks off What would it look like if the church's question They asked more than anything else is When do we get to see God move What if the predominant thing Wasn't to go back to the way things were Because like the Egyptians who were in bondage Going through the wilderness and being given manna and bread every day bread is manna manna and quail every day And asking when can we go back to egypt instead of looking forward to the promised land and the movement of god What would it look like if we allowed the presence of god to shape us to go to a Fuller understanding of who he is You see to be a follower of jesus. It's not just a conversion story but it's a story to a new life Oh Sure, it starts the conversion story. Let's do a little review. This is, this is where we were last week Every one of us at one point was living outside of the will of god in acts nine seventeen through 19. We see how Saul Who becomes paul that's the same person in case you weren't here last week We see this story ananias went and entered the house He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. We talked about how what a great illustration that is and and what it is in our life. What are the scales that need to come out of our eyes? What is the blindness that we need to overcome? Can we see the fact that just because we think we're following God doesn't mean we are? That we ask you to really struggle with the journey, what it means to be in the presence of God, and then ultimately coming to a place where we understand what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. See, everyone who has become a follower of Jesus Is on a journey not only to follow christ But to deepen his or her relationship with christ This is one of the ways that you know you have a relationship with christ You want to do his will Why? Three quick reasons and then we're going to have We're going to have a three and then a four so don't get confused Okay the three quick reasons why we should First our first step in being a follower of christ is submit to christ We get that right? submission. Everybody loves that word, right? Submission. We we get to submit to what God asks us to do, to yield to His leadership, to yield to His guidance, and trust that His way is what is best for us. So we're asking you to be willing to submit to the authority of God in your life. Have you done that? Because one way that you know you're doing that is our second step is to begin to allow Him to transform us. The Greek word is metamorph, metamorphosis. We've talked about that a lot before. It's from going the caterpillar to the butterfly. It's the time when you're in the cocoon, allowing him to break you down into caterpillar soup so that you might become something brand new. It is the coming to the place where you transform him, yet in the midst of that process, we should rejoice. And this is difficult, but it is good, because Saul in this moment was going through this transformation process, but he immediately started living for the Lord. You want proof, acts 9:19b, the second half of that verse, through 20. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. but immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Immediately, he was with the disciples being transformed. But immediately he began proclaiming it This is why we share around here That one of the key components of a follower of Jesus As followers we follow Jesus That's our mission statement By the way, every church can phrase that differently But that's kind of the mission statement Should be the mission statement of every church, okay? But one of the ways that we articulate that around here is Immediately we begin sharing what we know Followers share what we know And I can tell you, time after time, it's the new people who come to Christ, who are excited about Christ, and they're excited about the transformation. They outshare the people who've been in the church for 40 years. Let's change that. They do. They invite their friends. They invite the ones. They're going, God is doing something in my life. And I think this is where Saul was. God has shown me something. And that's awesome. But yet we get sidetracked along the way. Because our third step in this is to focus on directional growth, not just destination growth. To set your life course towards Jesus. And I think the danger of not having a directional approach but having a destinational approach means that we think we sometime will arrive. We want to sometime arrive. This is the joke that I said to the kids last week, which isn't really a joke If you want to avoid a midlife crisis realize you'll never have life figured out It will save you a lot of money on a sports car when you're my age. Okay Some of you will laugh later. I'm not. it's, It's serious And the directional discipleship is freeing Because it doesn't mean we have to compare ourselves to other people rather than saying, well, they're more advanced. They're holier than me. They're wiser than me. It's just saying they're headed in the same direction as me. Woohoo We're all going this together. But yet, without understanding this, we can realize that we have things that will hinder us from growing in the directional approach we should. And our past can provide the biggest obstacles to change. Isn't it ironic? The past is what we need to realize that we need to change. But yet our past hinders us from that. Acts 9, 21-25. All who heard him preaching, right, were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on the name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the, Dru- the Jews because he was directionally going closer to Jesus, who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days he passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. <laughs> wow. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Saul was so confronted by the past of his sin mistakes, the reason they despised him the most was he was one of them. And he was one of them, and now he's one of us. Right? If you're on the outside of that is, though, you're sitting there, he was one of us, and now he's one of them. And if you become, you were one of us, and then you become one of them, you can expect to be despised even more than other people. By the way, this is free for all the people pleasers in the room. Testify. okay? Someone doesn't like you. Embrace it. Don't sit there and go, I'm glad that's the people who like confrontation. Don't, that's not a badge of honor. Right? But if you're a people pleaser, know that there's someone who doesn't like you. It doesn't mean you're doing things wrong. It's very freeing to know that. But as we're chasing after Christ, there are going to be some people who chimp to take you down from your directional discipleship to draw closer to Christ. As we change, those who do not know Christ may become frustrated with our transformation. They may say awful things to you like you hate us you don't love us You think you're better than us. You think that you're right and we're wrong And our ultimate goal isn't to prove that we're right and they're wrong. Our ultimate goal is to point people to jesus That would be easy enough to accept right Except that we're not only attacked as we come closer to jesus by those outside the church Sometimes we're confronted by those inside the church Acts 9, 26 30. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Why? Because he was trying to kill them before, right? And since they did not believe he was a disciple, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming. And going with them in jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the lord He conversed and debated with the hellenistic jews, but they tried to kill him And when the brothers found out they took him down from caesarea and sent him off to tarsus You see as we struggle those within the church may also struggle with our transformation. Why because you were one of them And now you claim to be one of us How do I know and the reason the church struggles with this is because we've been lied to a lot, right? We've seen people who come up and say, and I can name celebrity after celebrity, but that's not going to do us any good today. Who said, I'm now following Jesus. And you kind of sit there and go, Yeah, I'm smarter than that. I'm going to wait till you fall, and then I'm going to go, <laughs> Right? But maybe the reason that they don't live up to our expectations is our expectations is that we have set in our mind a parameter, a, a, a destination that if they don't meet, a point in their life that they don't meet, then their conversion isn't real. Maybe we as a church need to understand that the way there are optics at looking at the way new people follow Christ or even those who've been in the church for 40 years shouldn't be about how holy they are, but rather are they headed in the direction of holiness? Maybe we should allow people the balance of grace and truth. This is what it looks like for directional discipleship. Directional discipleship allows us to start where we are currently Praise be to God that he set this up this way Because I don't know about you. I'm not always happy where I am But I can take one step forward So let's let's look this. This is a simple illustration, right? What we do here's the way that discipleship has historically run in the western world Okay We sat there and we thought, we want you to accept Christ. Step forward. Many people stop there. And then we wonder why they suffer. You know what's miserable? It's just standing put for your whole life. But sometimes we've attempted to disciple. And these are good tools that are used for discipleship in the bigger scheme. Hear that very clearly. I'm not knocking these. But what we do when I was growing up is we said, okay... Now we want you to do this thing called Bible drill where you memorize 20 scriptures. You did it. Here's your certificate. Now I want you to go to a Disciple Now weekend, which is an event back in the old days where the old people, you know, we'd go over to people's house and we'd go to an event and we'd draw real close to Christ and Saturday night, we'd all cry and go, "Oh, God is good! And then Monday we'd be left alone. And then we'd go to camp. Now as an adult, this continues, Right? What's your next thing to do? Women's discipleship. Wait, I'm not a woman. Okay. We go to a class or a program, and we sit there and go, but I did the program. Those are tools meant to help you in directional discipleship. They are not the accomplishment in and of themselves. We need to understand that so that when you go to those places, they need to look more like a hospital than a country club. They need to be a place to mend the broken. And here's the hard thing is, we can't allow people to be reckless, and there's time that the church has to do discipline because all the people are going, yeah, preach about grace. There is a balance of truth. If a person continues to be unrepentant, we need to confront them, and the Bible says after you confront a person who is unrepentant so many times, you cast them out. That's not fun. All the people pleasers went, no. All the confrontational people went yes And here's what I would say the way you feel about that if you're a confrontational people lean more towards grace And if you're a people pleaser lean more to truth This is how we know we're doing directional discipleship as a body well Four ways to continue that Directional discipleship compels us forward in our faith journey It compels us forward it compels us to be more and more like jesus when was the last time that you knew that you were growing in your faith i mean this goes back to the old times that you look at our kids and we put them up against the wall right we get the ruler in my house we get the yard tape and we measure them and we go I covered this a few weeks ago some of you weren't here because COVID, you know And so we sit here against the wall We measure them and we go Yeah, now if you measure yourself every single day You're going to get pretty frustrated Why? Because you aren't going to grow much in a day It's like the person who's trying to lose weight And they step on the scale every five minutes You get pretty frustrated doing that, right? But in the end When you start taking the marker moments And you start seeing the growth That's good How do you know you're growing? Look back to where you were a year ago How has your story changed? How has God changed you? And if you can't articulate that, that's a dangerous place to be. How have you changed for the last six months, the last year, the last three years? Directional discipleship compels us forward in our faith journey. And directional discipleship nurtures transformation over time. Why? Because it is a marathon, not a sprint. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Apply this to anything. It's true. One of the conversations I keep having is, we are compelled to talk about uh, social justice issues, and I love doing that. I have contacted many who are suffering and struggling with the racial inequality. And I have this tension of people saying, Daniel, you talk about it too much. And then there's tension of people who are like, Daniel, you aren't posting about it enough. And I sit there and I go, it's a marathon, people, not a sprint. The Bible compels us to stand up for racial injustice when appropriate. But I would rather have the relational equity pouring into the individuals over the long haul and allowing the progress to take because it's not going to change in 30 seconds unless a mighty act of God may that be. But it's going to take time and continue to take time. Do you understand? Here's another illustration. Some of you have heard this before, but if you have, you've been around here a while because I haven't shared this in this building. It was in the old building. I used to play golf for Howard Payne University Home of the mining fight of yellow jackets Stigum And One of the things you need to know about that is I ended up being good enough to be an all-american At Howard Payne academic And the idea of I was decent, you know I had like a three handicap But when I go back to high school I was horrible In fact, I wanted to play basketball in high school But I grew up in an inner city school And I can't jump At all I'm slow, so golf is more my pace, right? You don't have to jump. You don't have to do wind sprints. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And so you never heard a golf coach say drop and give me 50. I'm just saying, okay? Now, when I was playing golf, I went out for the golf team, and here's the requirements to make the golf team at Richardson High School in 1992. Do you own a pair of golf clubs? Congratulations, you're on the team. We had four guys show up for six spots. We took five to a tournament, okay? And so when I showed up, the golf coach asked me, How do you play? And I go, Okay. I shoot at like a 90, maybe 100. I really shot like 100. I told him 90. I had to repent. And so he said, Okay, well, let me go out and look at your swing. And after watching my swing, he said to me, Oh, your dad taught you. And I was like, Yeah. And he goes, How do you, how do you know that? He goes, It's really bad. I'm going to have to change that for the live stream service next So, so you get to hear the real part of that <laughs> My dad might hear But no, my dad, I've told my dad that many times And he laughed because it's true His swing was horrible back then And so I went out and he said, okay, Daniel You're going to have to trust me, but in order to make you a good golfer We're going to have to tear apart your old swing And make a new one Problem, Tournament was, first tournament was two weeks later So I'm going to make this a real long story Really quick The very first hole was a par 4 I got a 14 because you had 240 yards to clear the water. Two and a half football fields for those who aren't golfers. And I had to miraculously bounce it off the cart path and the women's tee in order to clear the water. Okay? Now, after the end of that first hole, I was like, Woo! Day's good, right? Well, the average person in that Richardson high school back then... Well, not recent high school. In our school district, in order to be a good golfer, you had to shoot like two under, which would have been like a 70 on this course. So it was a par 72. The winner shot like a 67. I signed my scorecard at the end of the day with a 141. I started the day with like 20 golf balls. I was down to two, and I was walking up the 18th fairway, and I was just dejected. And I saw my golf coach. And he had been checking in on me during the day. And as I was walking up, he came and he, he asked me how I shot. And I said, a 141. And he said, you know what? I'm really proud of you. And I went, why? Because they're going to make fun of you, too, when I put my score up there. <laughs> He's like, most golfers, after two or three holes of shooting the way you were shooting, would have gone back to their old swing. But you stuck with it. And over time, it will pay off. Why can't we do that in the church? Why can't we come to the place where we allow that transformation to happen? Why can't we see that the journey to holiness is a marathon and not a sprint? Directional discipleship encourages and nurtures transformation over time. Directional discipleship counters apathy and legalism I covered this already, this is the grace and truth battle just because you have grace does not mean that you get to live like you want to you're called to live to a holiness but yet there's grace and so you, you can't sit there and struggle with the. it's really, so back this off, I'm going to use words I don't normally like to use extreme legalism is fundamentalism that isn't necessarily holy Extreme grace Is Radical Get that part of it Liberalism And it's not holy One of the biggest compliments you can say to me is I, I have half the people calling me a radical fundamentalist And half, a, half the people calling me a rab- radical liberal And I'm sitting there going then I'm good Because it's the balance of grace and truth Forget republican and democrat We are not saved through a donkey or an elephant. We are saved by grace, through truth in who he is. Directional discipleship counters apathy and legalism. It it allows us to look back and see the growth, and ultimately directional discipleship compels us to invite others along. This is how you know you get it. Is you're excited because god is doing something in you and you may not even know it but you're just like so when you look back at your life one of the surest signs that you know you're growing is you want to tell people just like i always used to tell people no one had to go and tell you when you got engaged for those who were married hey guess what we're engaged i mean you were like trying to find someone to call right no one, did, no one bothered you when, when you, when if you are a parent and your baby, or if you're a child when you were born, no one had to go tell your parents. Hey, you should probably tell people that you had a baby. I mean, they were doing back in the old day what they called the the phone. What's it called? The phone. Phone tree. Thank you. Where so-and-so calls so-and-so, so-and-so calls so-and-so, now we just text people, and now it's on Instagram, and everybody knows before you know it. That, that, but no one had to tell you that back then. You're excited. When you are excited about it, you're going to share. And why are we excited about Jesus? Because we were lost. I'm hopelessly lost without Jesus. I am not perfect. And if you are expecting me to be perfect, you're going to be greatly disappointed. But I have encountered Jesus And he has changed my life And this is what we asked you to write down last week If if you've ever come to a place in your life Where you realize Jesus died on the cross And paid away for you That you can be saved Salvation can come You can be what we used to call born again Or made into a new person You can become a follower of Jesus Is the way we usually describe it around here But it doesn't stop there But if you've never done that That's where it starts. So last week's daily training was this. Write down your story reflecting on how you encountered or met Christ. And I hope you did that. And if you didn't and you struggle with it, please let us know. That's why the staff is here. We're not going to judge you. We want to be that coach who sits there and goes, Ah, you're shooting a 141. Let's help figure it out. But, as a follower of Jesus, can you do the second half? of the story this week I'd like you to reflect and write down on how your life has changed since you met Christ write the second half of the story if you want help look in Ephesians 2 it's the universal testimony 2, 1 through 10 when you realize what you were saved from and how you've lived you're able to do that so here's the story this is what I was like before Christ This is what I'm like now. Can you see the change? Can you see the transformation? And if you can't, struggle with it. Wrestle with it. And rest in Christ alone. Father, we ask that you help us to know what it looks like to be transformed into you. To be made more and more into your image, to your holiness. God, help us to all be headed in the same direction. If there's a person here who doesn't know Christ, God, help them to feel freedom today by encountering you. We pray against any feelings of judgment because we've all been there. We pray for brokenness in all of our hearts and lives from our sin. That we would be compelled to take one step closer to you. That we would be compelled to live more and more like you. So that we would be excited not only about what you're doing, but, but what you're doing in the world. That our question wouldn't be how can we go back to the old way, but we look forward to the new way of the transformation of the hope that we found in the creative, loving, good-natured Father that you are. So create in me something new. God, we pray that you do unexpected things today and that we rest in Christ alone. In your holy name we pray.